Welcome back to St. Joseph Radio Presents. I'm your host, Peter Karutz. Today's program is Natural Law, Why It's Right, Why It's Wrong. And our guest today is Professor Feingold. What good does this natural law do for us? Yeah, so the beauty of natural law is that uh, it gives us a way, even apart from faith, to know what it is to live a good human life, to live the good life, right, to be successful at being a human being. And this is on the one hand a confirmation of our faith as Catholics, so we can see, oh, these things which the church holds up to us as true about how to live, I can see why this is a good way to live, the best way to live. And also, uh, maybe equally importantly, it gives us a basis for discourse, for sh common ground with others who do not share our faith. Right? We live in a pluralistic society, and if we are going to have laws that govern this society harmoniously, if we're going to have conversation about the most important things together, it has to be on the basis of shared premises, shared foundation, and that's what the natural law gives us. And I don't know that we have real good natural discourse these days, but I'll tell you what, in this hour, I'm going to be the devil's advocate, and I'm going to cause problems. So come, watch it, please. Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program, broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world, where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Well, thank you, Matt, and uh, I am your host today, Peter Cruz, and we are live in studio here at St. Joseph Radio Presents with uh, Not Father Huber. So today we were planning on Father Hoover, but we have a special treat for you. I got to tell you, in so many ways, uh, we have Francis Feingold. I almost said it wrong. Francis Feingold. And I'm going to say that again, because when I read the name, I thought, I'm, I've got it wrong here somehow, because I know Lawrence Feinberg, but I don't know a Francis Feinberg. So are you any relation to this uh, Larry Feinberg? <laughs> uh, he is my dad. He's his dad. Yeah. So I'm sure many people out there know, uh, know Professor Feinberg, but this is also Professor. That's right. Yeah. So at, A bit more newly minted. How, how newly minted are you? I uh, graduated with my PhD in 2018. So... Um, that's that's yeah. a good long time. Yeah. Let me Four tell you years. what we're talking about today. This is... We're going to talk about natural law. Is it true? Now, I, I know this is a relatively meaty subject, but we're going we're gonna to go at it. And, um, and Professor here has agreed that I can throw questions at him without any preparation. So uh, it, it's going to be good. So natural law, is it true? So let's, let's go at it. Uh, as we always say, before uh, we start these programs, we start with a prayer. 
and uh, since uh, and uh, and we always have the PhD in the room say the prayer. So, would would you mind? Absolutely. Since it's Saturday, let's say a quick Hail Mary in honor of Our Lady. In the name of the Father, Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, my women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. Pray for us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So today, when everyone hears the name Francis, they think of Pope. But I'm sorry, I'm old. When I hear Francis, I think of stripes, where uh, you have uh, uh, Francis uh, in stripes. And he says, that's my name. Don't ever call me Francis. My name is Psycho. Do not call me Francis. So if you haven't seen Stripes, go see it. I have not seen Stripes. Oh, my goodness. It's a, with right. a name like Francis, you've got something see it. out it's of a, this. <laughs> it's a great, great movie. All right. So tell me a little bit. You're a young man. Obviously, mm-hmm. we gave it away that you got your Ph.D. At eight, at, uh, in 2018. Mm-hmm. And then by, uh, by your looks, you probably were 18 when you received yeah. your Ph.D. <laughs> not quite. But. Uh, so tell me. Tell me. Um, you, you, you grew up with uh, somebody who I've uh, admired for a long, long time. And your mom, too, who's mm-hmm. very impressive. Um, uh, t- tell me a little bit about this unique uh, growing up growing circumstance. Up. Everybody has a unique yep. growing up circumstance. Yeah, so w- when I describe the places I've lived, usually people ask uh, whether I was in a military family. So I say, almost, a uh, theology grad student family. It's basically the same thing. Uh, so I was uh, born abroad in Italy. Uh, we went back there when I was two, stayed there um, while my dad was doing his uh, first philosophy and then theology studies at the Opus Dei University there at Santa Croce. Uh, stayed there for eight years, uh, with one year in between um, in Israel when he was thinking of doing biblical studies. I was, I was, I was seven. I took it for granted at the time, but it was fun to live in the old city. Sure. To the uh, Holy Sepulchre for a daily mass, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, then my dad's first teaching job was a volunteer teaching job uh, for a religious group that he had met in Rome. It was in Argentina, so we packed our bags and we went to Argentina. Um, I was being homeschooled for all this for obvious logistical reasons. Um, and so, yeah, we spent five years in Argentina. Those are my uh, early teenage years. Should I assume your Italian is reasonably good and your Spanish is better? It's, yes, although neither one of them is native fluency because of that homeschooling thing. I, I, I was a shy <laughs> introvert kid. But, um, but yes, you know, it can get by, which I'm quite grateful for. Uh, yeah, and then came back to the States and went to Christendom College for undergrad, uh, majored in philosophy there, and then went on to Catholic U for uh, my graduate work. And, and what's your uh, PhD emphasis? So my PhD, em- uh, so I did my dissertation on Thomas Aquinas' uh, philosophy of God, right, and specifically how we should understand God's simplicity and immutability in the context of uh, God's providential relation to us. Which I would love, if there's time, I would love to hit you with a question or two on sure. that, which is, which, is, which is great. But today's topic is mm-hmm. natural law. And, and someone would, might say that that's a bit bit heavy of a topic. Is it fair to say, and I don't know, honestly, it's not a, I got you, but is it fair to say that Aquinas coined the phrase or just, is, do we just say he, he, he has made it most prominent? Made it most prominent. So you'll find people like uh, St. Augustine using that phrase. Um, there are the Roman jurists whom... Uh, Aquinas quotes quite a bit, who used the phrase of uh, the jus naturale, the natural right, as sort of this basic... Uh, they don't use it quite in the same sense that Aquinas does, but Aquinas is pulling from them, putting it together with Augustine. Um, 
to build up. So uh, let's 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 uh, give ourselves a, mm-hmm. a broad context. What do we? We all know what laws are, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we have physical <clears throat> laws. Uh, we have uh, civil laws. Um, uh, but what is natural law? Yeah. So Aquinas will define natural law as specific. It, natural law taken strictly as specifically the human participation in the eternal law. So if the eternal law is God's plan uh, for all things, right, his providential plan, um, that plan gets, you might say, stamped, imprinted, impressed on the natures of all things, because Aquinas following Aristotle thinks that everything has a built-in teleological pointedness and orientation toward its God-given end. And that's in everything, but only in human beings is this orientation to the, uh, to the end present to uh, the person who is oriented. So we know, we can know our own orientation, and we can speak the commands that follow from this orientation by our reason. And so it's because of this that natural law is said properly of man. It's our participation, you might almost say as a kind of subordinate legislator, speaking or echoing uh, the original legislation of God's eternal law. So we, we know that uh, Thomas Aquinas was um, a, a religious guy. He mm-hmm. was a monk, right? He was a Catholic. Uh, but I- is he suggesting that uh, uh, God uh, re- required us to be Catholic in order to understand natural law? Or to be in, or even to under. Let me let mm-hmm. me back that up. It, is he suggesting that we even need to know what natural law is for it to be influential upon us? Great questions. So to do the first one first, right? Okay. The, do we need to be Catholic in order to know the natural law? No. The cool thing about the natural law is that it's supposed to be available to anybody who has reason and who can reflect on what it means to be a human being. Right. So it's written in every man's heart. A la Paul. Exactly. Um, uh, it's a law written in our hearts. Um, certainly being Catholic helps to like, be aware of its implications. So Aquinas would say we've sort of got a head start here. Um, but the basis for it is the same in everybody. And if you, Aquinas would say if you really think about it, anybody can work it out, um, work out its implications. Um, give me your second question again. Um, do we even have to know what natural law is right. for it to be an influence on our life? Uh, certainly don't need to know the words, uh, mm. right? So what natural law means is that you can see by your reason that to be a good human being, somebody who's succeeded at the business of being a human being, you might say, you have to do certain things. Right? You can't, somebody who constantly lies, somebody who is lazy, somebody who can't be trusted, somebody who betrays his friends, stabs his country in the back, we can tell that he's failed at being a human being in some important way. And you don't need to know the term nature or law to be able to see that. And I'm going to, as we go further in the program, I'm going to challenge you on that, Mm -hmm. because in today's society, that is a bit it, that is, in some respects, being challenged. Mm-hmm. But let me break it down into two pieces. We, we talked about natural law and rational beings. Uh, we, as human beings, persons, have, uh, and I, I say uh, human beings and persons uh, separately. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, but uh, 
Well, I got to tell you what happened this morning. All right. All right. So I hear, I hear all this knocking, and my daughter, who who teaches nearby, um, uh, popped into the house, and mm-hmm. she heard all this knocking. Well, I had already walked outside, and I know what it was. So I walked outside, and we have these um, beautiful windows, little arched windows uh, on our on our deck, and I showed her uh, that there has been a woodpecker, and this woodpecker has poked three. Uh, two and a half inch holes nice. in my beautiful windows. Uh-huh. Awesome. That bird is subject to natural law. Mm-hmm. Yes or no? Uh, natural law in a broader sense, shall we say? So definitely not subject to human laws, which might have a an implicit no trespassing sign for woodpeckers attached to the windows. But right. Nat- Yes, subject to natural law in the sense of following woodpecker nature, right? Because what a woodpecker is for is to find its food, bugs, I believe, in wood. And a home. And a home. In my house. Well, in wood. Okay. That's what natural law for the woodpecker states. And it just so happens that the wood that it found was your house. And this woodpecker Mm -hmm. is trying to be the best woodpecker it can be. Mm Mm-hmm. Doesn't make me very happy. Nope. But in in terms of natural law, mm-hmm. some some might suggest that God wants us to, rather than God being a, the person who directs every utterance that we do, perhaps He is giving us something that's built into our natures that would cause us to wish to be who and what we should. The woodpecker is trying to be the best woodpecker he is no reason involved. So there's no participation in God's will. But as a human rational being, we're participating. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. Uh, But um, does does that, could that, uh, could that philosophy um, of natural law help us when we think about inanimate things? A basketball, for example. Mm-hmm. Is there a natural law that might affect a basketball? Right. So, I mean, you can certainly speak of natural... I mean, this is how people who aren't in into Catholic philosophy usually take natu- uh, the term natural law. We think of things like gravity or laws of Newtonian mechanics or general relativity or what have you as being these rules, principles, patterns that everything which has a nature of a certain sort necessarily follows, right? So very visible in the parabolas, I think the parabolas that basketball's um, trajectory describes, visible also in that woodpecker example that you were describing, right? So in all of these cases, the laws, right, uh, there's no freedom involved. This is, describes how things do act and how they must act. Uh, Or should act. Right. So that's that's the difference between their case and our case, right? So in the case of the basketball or the case of the woodpecker, it is how they should act, right? This is what it is good for a massy, bouncy object to do. This is what it is good for a woodpecker to do. And it is what they must do. Whereas in the case of the human being, right, uh, what we call natural law, it has a power. We still use that word must, but it's a different sort of must. It's is the it a, yeah. should sort of must, right? What you must do if 
you want to be a good human being, but it's not the must of you can't help it. So, so I would be mm-hmm. very happy if this woodpecker's beak would just snap off. I but that it. would make that woodpecker not such a good woodpecker. Mm-hmm. And if I had a, a basketball, and I do, and I don't have enough air in it, it's not a very good basketball because it doesn't become what it is intended to be. Mm-hmm. So if I have a basketball with no air and I try and bounce it and it bounces flat, it's not uh, it's not uh, fulfilling its nature. It is disordered, mm-hmm. right? So even even things without reason, we I, I like looking at things without sure. reason mm-hmm. or inanimate objects because then it helps us to look at who we are with reason. Absolutely. I think you said it. God wants us to be the best we can be. Mm-hmm. So does natural law imply that there is why why it, that there is some ultimate good or truth or or is that is that not part and parcel of natural law? Absolutely, right? So uh, just as for any given inanimate thing that you like there is something that it is built to do, right? So to take the woodpecker example, it's not the case that any sort of lifestyle is good for a woodpecker. What it is to be a good woodpecker is to make its living by drilling these holes and raising its chicks in in these seasons and in this way, uh, in this kind of habitat. Um, So likewise, what it means to say that human beings are subject to the natural laws to say it's, it's not a blank slate. There is something which it is good for human beings to do, and it's just this, and it's not these other things. Obviously, for the same reason that right, there's this fundamental difference between a woodpecker's natural law and ours, namely that a woodpecker is determined by its built-in law, whereas human beings are free, so likewise the natural law in humans may have more latitude than um, there is for a woodpecker. A woodpecker must always build his nest the same way. Human beings, okay, we're required by the natural law to shelter ourselves and our families, but we can make all sorts of different shelters, and that's part of the glory of being a human being. But it's always going to be within within uh, set parameters. Freedom you, is not and you absolute. Said, you said two things that mm-hmm. I'm going to come back to in a minute. You said good, mm-hmm. and you said must again. We said yep. must. Mm-hmm. So let's come back to that in a minute. But sure. let me remind everyone that this is St. Joseph Radio presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West, and we are live, and we're with uh, Francis Feingold. I almost said it wrong again, but uh, and and Francis, I I I, I know that it, it must be terrible, but when my when I was growing up, my little brother was always uh, known. Oh, you're Peter's little brother, or uh, a Peter. Yeah, you're Peter's little brother. Or now in my life, people meet me. They don't know who I am. They mm-hmm. say, "Well, oh, I got it. You're Teresa's husband. I got that right now." Mm-hmm. A lot of people say you're you're yep. uh, Larry Fine. Larry's son. Yep. Yeah. All right. And and I I will That's tell you this. He, he, if you if you get to Hear a light, and I'm going to say the same thing about you. But I, I, I have. We've just met. Do you ever have a chance to hear uh, Larry Feingold talk? Please do. He is brilliant and engaging. He really is. Uh, and and uh, I say brilliant as uh, the understatement of of the century. That's very kind. Let me. Let I won't me, argue. <laughs> you better not. I know your dad. Let, let me throw out a couple of. Fundamentals to natural law, mm-hmm. and you, you you're touching on them as you you go through them. I'm just going to pick up a couple. You, I think that in natural law, where you're oriented toward the good, mm-hmm. 
we're oriented toward self-preservation. Mm-hmm. We're oriented toward um, sexual union or procreation. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me just say broadly, society and friendship. Mm-hmm. Okay. And truth, yep. And, and truth. I know there are more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but that's, that's the list Aquinas gives, yep. Okay, I, I thought I missed one. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how anyone can argue that those would not be positive things. But people do. And you, you, you use the word must, mm-hmm. right? Must we seek the good? M- must we seek self-preservation? Mm-hmm. I, I think when we look at society today, sometimes we don't. Why? Yeah, so a lot of, it's a great question. And so a lot of it comes down to what do you mean by the good in the first place? So I don't think right, that most people in contemporary society would deny that by and large, it's better to be alive than not to be alive. We spend an awful lot of uh, our societal resources on keeping ourselves alive and we think this is a good thing. Um, likewise, I don't think anybody's rooting for the human species to go extinct. Right, so we recognize that preservation of the species is a good thing. Well, increase of the species, maybe not, but uh, preservation of the species, I think people tend to agree on. People tend to agree that to live in society harmoniously is a good thing. People tend to think that it's better to have truth rather than misinformation. So on the one hand, I do want to like stand by like these general principles are ones that you don't actually find people rejecting that much, even those who claim to be opposed to notions of absolute truth. In practice, these fundamental goods, everybody sees their value. But oftentimes what happens is that people see their value, but they think there are other values too which trump them. So that's why I said, I think this comes down to what one means by the good. One of the big divides, one of the big transitions that happened in the history of ethics is moving from an Aristotelian teleological notion of the good, which is inherently objective, um, to a, uh, a notion of the good as being essentially, I mean, so pleasure is sort of a bad sounding word. It sounds kind of base or whatever, uh, but some sort of positive emotion. You could say joy or happiness understood as something that you experience as a feeling subjectively. And so because of, once one takes the word good in that sense primarily as pleasure, delight, joy, a good feeling, rather than fulfilling your nature, then one finds all sorts of exceptions to things which in the olden days would have been taken to be exceptionless. Right? So taking that f- uh, first tier of natural inclinations that you're mentioning, Peter, the um, inclination to preserve uh, preserve one's life, right? So today we favor assisted suicide, right? We're not trying to like get everybody to commit suicide. We think suicide is generally bad, but we think sometimes it's good. Why do we think it's sometimes good? We think it's sometimes good because um, that way one avoids pain, and pain is seen to be the primary evil. Pleasure is seen to be the primary good, and life is seen to be, yes, good for the most part, but why? In a sort of utilitarian way, because it lets you feel good. And if that's how you're approaching it, then 
all of these moral norms become relativistic. Let, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, let's, let's – um, and uh, I think that the, you, what you have just made is a distinction between the positive uh, attributes of moral law as opposed to the negative attributes. And mm-hmm. by positive and negative, I'm not suggesting that uh, – w- well, I am. One is good and one is bad. Right. One is right mm-hmm. and one is wrong. But let's, let's go to the – to the positive ones a little bit more, because mm-hmm. I, I think what you also said is that um, there uh, you were using different words that were good. Mm-hmm. And I think the implication there might be that there are various shades or approaches to doing a good thing. Mm-hmm. There are, as, and I'll come back to the bad thing, if you mm-hmm. will, but some, some things are just by their nature evil. But in the good, it becomes uh, less clear to say, Ah, this is good in terms of natural law because there are so many different ways to do it. Let me let me use an example. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife is uh, uh, happy with me that I'm going to the gym more, right? So w- what do I do? I go to the gym and I lift weights. Mm-hmm. And when I'm lifting those weights, I'm, I'm not on the golf course. I'm not doing my work. Uh, I'm not, not helping my wife around the house. But, and, and what am I doing instead? I'm causing myself pain. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to the gym, I'm causing myself pain, and and aside from the pain, I'm working to the point to to which I fail. In Mm -hmm. fact, my goal is to work to the point where I actually fail at what I'm trying to do. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'm 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 throwing out a little bit of negatives. I I hurt. I have Mm -hmm. pain, and I am. I am uh, making failure a goal, yet I'm saying going to the gym is good, mm-hmm. right? So when we talked about good, good has a, diff- a number of different ways of, of um, manifesting itself. Mm-hmm. And um, how can I reconcile seeking the good, but I'm doing all these negative things? Sure. So at least in the... Uh example that you're describing, right, um, you've got something which is both good in one sense and bad in another, right? So it is bad in the sense that it hurts, um, but it is good in the sense that it is, and maybe it's bad also in the sense that, okay, you have the frustration of, right, which is a sort of different kind of pain of not having gotten to where you wanted to go. You wanted this weight and I only got this lesser weight instead or whatever. Um, but it's a good in the sense that it is useful for something that you are seeking, which is health and strength and things of that sort. And that's a different sort of good. So Aristotle, going back to Aristotle, right? So Aristotle famously in, in his discussion of three, uh, discussion of friendship, which everybody should read. It's one of the most beautiful things in history of philosophy. Um, but he gives three kinds of friendship and they're divided according to three different kinds of goods. So let's focus on the good side. Um, there's Okay, maybe most obviously, right, there's that which is we call good because it feels good. Right. Ice cream. Um, there is that. He didn't use the ice cream example. Uh, there is that which we call uh, good because it is useful, and hitting the gym is a classic example of that. Nobody does it because it feels good in the moment, at least. Yeah, not in the moment. Uh, but, um, uh, but it produces effects that we see are good. And then thirdly, there is the kind which Aristotle calls the most important, which is 
in Greek is the kalon, which can be translated as the noble or the beautiful. The Latins, like Aquinas, translated as the honestum, following Cicero. The, I think in English, to call it the noble good or the intrinsic good captures its meaning as well as any English word can. Um, and so something like health for Aristotle would fall in that category. So again, going back to your case of the gym, it's bad because it hurts, but it is good because this is noble. Why is it noble, intrinsically good? It's intrinsically good and noble because it is what you are for as a physical human being. You are for having a body which is not just couch potato a type blob. body. A blob, exactly, but reflects God's image in a certain way. Not that Aristotle would talk in those terms. Um, and the big move that is made in 1500s, 1600s onward is to slice out that third kind of good, which is the most important one, out of the picture. And that's what we're going to do when we come back. We're going to learn what the real good is. What is the ultimate good? And get a better idea of natural law. Hi, this is Matt Logeman with St. Joseph Radio with a great gift idea, a St. Benedict bracelet, a trendy accessory for men, women, and children that not only looks good on everyone's wrist, but is actually armor for the spiritual battlefield. This unique bracelet is handmade in Europe and contains 10 medals within the braided cord in the adult size and seven medals in the children's size. On the front of each beautiful medal is St. Benedict holding a cross in his right hand, the object of his devotion. On the back of each medal is a cross. Surrounding the back of the medal and cross are the letters V. B-R-S-N-M-V-S-M-Q-L-I-V-B. In Latin reference, which translates, Be gone, Satan. Never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil. Drink the poison yourself. And finally, located at the top is the word Pax, which means peace. All bracelets come packaged with an informational card and the St. Benedict blessing, which your local priest can administer. This gift is for everyone you love and care about, including yourself. Available from St. Joseph Radio. Check the website at www.saintjosephradio.net. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the pro-life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. Well, we're back. Uh, I am your host, Peter Karutz. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents, and we're talking about natural law. Little subtitle, is it true? It's just a little bit of a teaser. Mm -hmm. And we are live in studio with Francis Feingold. And if you think that name is familiar, I've said it again. Sorry, I hope it's okay. Uh, because we admire your dad so much. He's uh, he's he's a kind. brilliant and good good man. And uh, we're, uh, if you can't tell, we're having a lot of fun here. Uh, natural law is something that really informs us whether we know it or not. There's, there's a famous, uh, again, I'm old, so I remember this. There was a, uh, a Supreme Court um, uh, hearing uh, for um, Clarence Thomas, and it was, uh, let's say it was um, 
Well, let me just put it this way. Uh, Biden was uh, one of the senators at the time. And instead of saying welcome and congratulations, he says, get ready to be under the bright light. And then the next word out of his mouth was, we're going to talk about natural law. He says, I know what it means. You know what it means. And uh, it has a great implication in the law. And he went on to pontificate for a while. And, and Clarence Thomas is famous for saying, <laughs> I didn't understand a word he was saying. So we are trying to bring some clarity to natural law. We're not trying to just throw it out there as a, mm -hmm. as a catchphrase, to, as a, but, but as something that really and honestly is part of us. It is God's gift to us to inform us as to how we should be and what he is calling us to be. And, and uh, I think we said it earlier, I don't think it's too strong to say a participation in the divine. Absolutely. Uh, so um, we were taught, when we just faded out, mm -hmm. we were trying to squeeze another word into about the good. Mm -hmm. And during, go ahead. Um, yeah, so we were, I was just going over, wait, what does the good mean? Right, so in modernity, there's basically this just can mean one of two things. It can mean either the useful, and so medicine, the gym, or it can mean what it's useful for, and that's understood to be just feeling good one way or another. So in right, so according to the post, throw some names out, post David Hume and John Stuart Mill, uh, in that tradition, right, uh, to say that something like virtue. Uh, even heroism on the battlefield or whatever is good, you have to cash that out somehow or other in terms of it feeling good, either for the person doing it or for somebody. And that's why you call it good. Whereas in the Aristotelian picture, no. I mean, sure, there is an, a sense in which heroism feels good. You're glad to have done it. But the reason why is because this is what you are for. There's something absolute about it. This is what this is what human beings are for doing. And so, yeah, w which way you cash out the meaning of the term good is going to have big implications for whether you take, uh, how you understand moral norms. Yeah, and I, I think it, it, it might also have to do with whether you're nearsighted or farsighted. The, the, the near might not seem as a good, but it's the far that it really is what we're talking about, because we, we're saying the good, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, why does somebody give away their money? That doesn't sound very good. It's, it's a longer term, and that longer term is not necessarily the good of society, perhaps, but it might be the good of your eternal soul. So, mm -hmm. and, and seeing the, the, the poor or the people who are in need as children of God who are worthy of it. So when we talk about the good, it is a very long uh, perspective. Uh, I think you wanted to talk about the firefighters a little bit, and then, sure, yeah. and then I want to get real negative. All right, let's do it. Yeah, so uh, if you're, it's a part of what we're, uh, what I would be trying to, uh, what I think it's important to save by hanging on to that third Aristotelian category, the noble, the kalan, is to give us different dimension to human goodness, human virtue, compared to what you find in the irrational world among animals, right? So when you see firefighters rushing into a burning building, right, to save a child, um, it's, we give, right, we have admiration, we have respect for that as an act of 
selflessness as an act of putting some objective good above their own, uh, which we don't attribute to the animal world. Where Even right. though we do see cases of physical self-sacrifice in the animal world. Right? So we see cases of mother dogs being willing to do a lot for the sake of their puppies, which is great and it's beautiful. But you, unless you're, again, right, well, unless you're David Hume or one of uh, those philosophers, you don't want to say that what those firefighters are doing or what a, what a human um, act of self-sacrifice consists in is simply following instinct. Right? Mm-hmm. There's, it's different because we grasp the goodness of that child whom we're trying to save. It's not just because it makes us feel good. And so it seems to me really important to keep this in order to keep love in a substantive sense. And to love someone just because it makes you feel good to do nice things for them. Well, I mean, it's great that it makes you feel good to do nice things for them, but that's not the point of love. Um, it's, it's sort of, a, I would think, think, a misunderstanding of love. Love is not a reward for uh, good behavior. Reward is... Uh, Reward, um, I'm sorry, love might mm-hmm. be truly the loving of the unlovely or the good to the mm-hmm. unlovely. I mean, what did Christ do? I mean, we were kind of unlovely, yep. and he did. He Smart. gave the ultimate sacrifice. <laughs> yep. And in marriage, I think mm-hmm. love can be further described as self-donative, right? Self, it's self-giving, right? And in today's world, we mistake that word love, right? Love is more profound. The Greeks did a much better job at define, uh, giving us different mm-hmm. words. For love, but uh, I want to talk about uh, my my own somebody who worked for me who who was um, uh, very I, I don't know if I could describe him any better than an atheist and a and a humanist, but I'm going to pause for a moment before mm-hmm. we get to him. I'm going to go negative, and uh, and I'm also going to just say, look, Tom Aquinas was very good about looking at the other side mm-hmm. in order to build up your own side. So I don't advocate this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sure. Okay, so we'll just say I'm Hume. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And I'm going to say that uh, natural law is not good. So one of the natural laws we had is self-preservation, mm-hmm. right? So uh, should should I... Uh, uh, sh- and a- another natural law would be the, uh, the desire to procreate or, or mm-hmm. have sexual union. So sexual assault is part of the natural law, so it, it must be wrong. Natural law must be wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to start with that one? Yeah, look at right. one at a time. Sure. All right, so starting with the, uh, uh, the impulse of the natural law to procreation, right, so don't want to say that, right, so if I'm defending the natural law against this objection, right, you don't want to say that the natural law command is simply to go and engage in sexual acts all over the place, um, right? So the, the goal, right, of, right, the natural inclination, at least as Aquinas puts it, is not to engage in sexual acts. The, the goal, the, the inclination, right, the thing which we see as being perfective is, you might say, to be, to be fertile, to contribute to the preservation of the human race. And so, as far as Aquinas is concerned, acts of, uh, right, of a sexual nature are good or bad to the extent that they are conformed or not conformed to that end, to that basic inclination and drive that we have as human beings. And so, um, the issue with... There, the, so, the, this particular issue is extra tricky because... Arguably, there is some pretty important development in Catholic ethical thought from Aquinas' time to our own on how sexual ethics works. 
Um, right, so for Aquinas, he's mainly got in view this end of procreation. And so the reason that he um, would condemn something like sexual assault or something like, yeah, we'll just say sexual assault, um, is going to be on uh, two grounds, right? On the one hand, because it goes against one of our other fundamental inclinations, the one that belongs to us as man, right, uh, as rational, namely to live together harmoniously in society, right? So to uh, attack another person's dignity in this fundamental way of using them uh, for sexual gratification, uh, right? So that runs directly counter to that third and most properly human kind of inclination. But it's also um, going to be contrary Right, Aquinas would say this, uh, to the purpose of procreation, right? Because the purpose of procreation is to preserve the species, and this is done best in a stable family. So anything that is counter to that is going to be not fulfillment of this precept, but contrary to it. And one could add further with JP2 and the developments that have been made with theology of the body since Aquinas' time, um, that by engaging in something like sexual assault, not only are you going against the inclination to live in society, not only is this not uh, conducive to, not only is this a distortion of uh, uh, an act aimed at procreation, but it is also contrary to the unitive nature of the act, right? So it is in direct uh, conflict with our teleology as expressed in our sexuality. Yeah, and I think that we hear people in society take the position I was Mm -hmm. taking just for one, to be argumentative a little bit. Sure. Uh, But but two, I think that what you said, I think, is key, that when we're talking about these natural laws, uh, truth cannot contradict truth. So to the extent that one of these arguments appeared to be in conflict with another basic truth, it becomes an untruth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I said that quite right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I know but, what you mean. Yeah, but right. I mean, you 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 cannot have something that's both uh, yes and no at the same time, mm-hmm. right? And uh, you you can't have something um, be two two different states at the same time. Right. So, so what what the uh, the arguments that we're going to come up with in society that try to negate natural law will will go right at that. Mm-hmm. We have another uh, truth that is. Uh, in conflict, so it can't be. So, right. you know, we yeah. talked about suicide, and uh, and you you mentioned it. You know, the the mm-hmm. uh, the the pain that's uh, I- I- inflicted at some point point in time. So l- let me let me use a real concrete example. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in business, right? Uh, I usually am in conflict because we're we're trying to resolve a dispute, mm-hmm. and I had been working with. Uh, this other guy who represented the, another major corporation, and we had about a hundred million dollar matter we had to resolve. So we're kind of all business, is what I'm mm-hmm. trying to say. But we would have lunch and um, in the cafeteria, and one day he said, "Can you hang around after work?" I said, "Sure." And he said, "I want to talk to you." He says, uh, "I'm Jewish. Uh, my wife is Catholic, and..." Um, and I know you're Catholic. He knew that because I would say I would make the sign of the cross and mm-hmm, say grace mm-hmm. everything, right? So simple sign of the cross makes a difference. He said, "My my wife's brother committed suicide, and um, her her close friends are basically saying that 
that her, her, her brother has no hope and he's burning in hell. Mm-hmm. Which aside from being unkind and untrue, yep. um, it, it was hurtful. And, and quite frankly, she was terribly distraught, you know, cut to the core. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I, I think we might want to, to talk about with regard to, to this, and you brought up assisted suicide, mm-hmm. is that it's avoiding the pain. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, I think it's reasonable to say that anyone who would take their own life is not, um, does not have full freedom of will. And p- perhaps even has some m- mental issues going on frequently, as well. Frequently, at least, yeah. Frequently, right. Not all the time, mm-hmm. same frequently. But as we talk, and, and given that it is such a, a charged issue, uh, why is, um, from a natural law standpoint, why would we say that assisted suicide is in conflict with natural law? Yeah. So... The, the fundamental reason would be that, right, so first taking it from the other end, right, so why would assisted suicide seem like a good? Right? It seems like it's a good because you are helping somebody achieve, right, their most important good or avoid their most important evil. Um, right? And so that presumes that the most important good for them is, again, an experience of joy or at least calm or tranquility or something like that, and that the most important evil is pain, whether it be physical or emotional or what have you. Um, And so the reason for arguing against assisted suicide is by challenging those premises. You you would say, no, actually, what is pain anyway? Pain is the reaction that our our powers of desire have to something which is, either is or at least appears to be evil, right? So pain is parasitic on evil, where evil is something distinct from this. I always start off my ethics classes by uh, trying to make sure that my students really get this distinction, right? Pain, it's a sign of evil, right? At least an apparent sign, it's an effect of evil, but it is not the evil itself, right? The evil is that of which the pain is a sign, right? And so in the case of assisted suicide, right? so certainly these pains are frequently caused by real evils, right? Maybe it's your body falling apart one way or another, or it could be more emotional, the evil of, I am now radically dependent on my family, I can no longer support myself, I feel like a burden, things of that sort. Um, and it is right to regard those as evils, although often those also have good sides to them which are being overlooked. Um, but none of them are can compare with the good of life as the most fun, fundamental good. Right? It's not just a basic, right? So people who advocate assisted suicide are going to be seeing life not as a good in its own right, but just as a precondition for pleasure or pain. So what, what we as Catholics are doing in holding out against assisted suicide is holding out for the goodness of life as such, apart from how you, one feels. Right. Because well, our feelings can may or may not match up with the intrinsic goodness and beauty of things. Yeah, well said. Blind. And it and it's a it it does, as you point out, run directly in conflict with one of those fundamentals of self preservation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This is Saint Joseph Radio presents coming to you live from Saint Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I'm your host, Peter Krutz, 
And I'm with, I keep almost saying Larry, I'm with <laughs> Francis Feingold, who is a professor of philosophy mm-hmm. at uh, the seminary here in St. Louis. And I can tell you that your students are lucky to oh, have gosh. you. Uh, you, you, deal, you deal with these dumb questions so, so well. Um, Not le- dumb questions. <laughs> They're <laughs> but, fundamental. But yeah, and and let's let's stay in the negative a little mm-hmm. bit. But uh, let's um, maybe I'll get to the point and then I'll I'll, I'll come on back. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, there's a, an anecdote that I'm, has been said so much that I'm sure there's some truth to it. Uh, Fulton Sheen was passing a hospital, and he said, "There's a building where there's so much wasted suffering." I had eye surgery yeah. a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and the, the nurse gave me a vial before we left, and she says, if you can't stand the pain, use the vial mm-hmm. and, uh, and put it in your eyes, but then it'll diminish the effectiveness of your surgery. So there's no way I was going to yeah. use it. Sure. And I, I, I went down to the basement. I turned off all the lights. I even hid the little light, the LED lights, mm-hmm. and I have never been in so much pain in all my life. I've never prayed so well in all my life either. Yep. Tell me about pain as a good. Yeah. So this is not, first thing I'll say is not about natural law as such, right? So one of the joys and beauties of being Catholic is that we have something over and above anything that you could know by the natural law, which is that we can take our pain and join it to the redemptive sufferings of Christ. They can have a value far beyond anything that one can see by natural reason in the here and now simply by, yeah, by being elevated to share in the worth of the divine, divine suffering. So that would be the first thing I would say. And so I, I take it that that's probably Fulton Sheen's main point when he's talking about the wasted suffering. Like this is, this could all be turned into an act of love for Christ. It could all be redeemed. It could all be and th- redeemed and then thus made redemptive, and nobody's doing it, right? So that, that's the first thing. That belongs to the supernatural, which is above my pay grade. Um, but uh, strictly on the natural level, right? So, I mean, you want to say several things, right? So on the one hand, even leaving aside the... Uh, well, starting from the most basic. Right? So on the most basic level, right, it's a darn good thing that we have pain, right? Because the purpose oh. of pain is to stop keep doing us, that. Exactly. Right. So, doctor, when I raise my hand, I I'm, I'm, I get pain in my shoulder. Stop raising your hand. Yep. Exactly. Right. So, uh, pain is a gift, and we'd all be dead without it. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, but secondly, right? So, having so the possibility of pain is a big part. It seems to me of what makes genuine love possible, oh. right? Because if it weren't the case, right, so I'm, I'm a dad, I've got four young kids, and they test my patients more than they should daily. Um, and one of the things that goes with being a dad is you get up in the night for screaming kids who are screaming for no reason whatsoever, um, right? And so, right, on the one hand, this is pain. Sure. Been woken up. It's very light pain. It's not like what you were describing, but it feels like pain in the moment anyway. Um, but on the other hand, if parenting didn't involve moments like that of frustration and being tired and whatnot, and you do it anyway for the love of your kids, what is that love for your kids anyway? Right? I mean, sure, like hugging them and kissing them and playing games with them and all that is wonderful, but to the extent that I actually have developed love for them as a father, it's because I've 
had a, some very, very limited occasion to experience some pain for their sake. Um, and so it seems that if one takes the possibility of pain out of the equation, one's taken away also by that very same fact, the ability to express love for another. So I think that's really huge. Um, another thing about pain, seems to me, is that if uh, one takes that out of the equation, um, I mean, this is a point that C.S. Lewis makes at some length in his Problem of Pain, uh, which is a great book, everybody should read it, um, is that without it, we become complacent, right? So the only time when we actually realize that we're just plain old dumb creatures and the universe doesn't revolve around us and that actually we are pointed toward God is when something doesn't go our way one way or another, whether it's physical or whether it's mental, right? And so, I mean, there's a reason that the church does well in times of persecution and doesn't do well when it's got the empire on its side, right? Having, having pain, having things not go your way, this is how we can, right, even on the natural plane, leaving aside the aspect of joining ourselves to Christ's redemptive suffering, this is how we can see that there's something more important than just our daily little pleasures and comforts, something bigger. Yeah. And we need to be shaken out of the, uh, and, the complacency. And your, your example of, of fatherhood, I think, is um, something that I think everyone identifies with at some level. Mm-hmm. And what I was hearing you say, and I think what people see, positive and negative, mm-hmm. I'm going to say, is that when they experience, they being children, experience and reflect on and recollect on the uh, self-giving of a parent as they grow up and be better appreciated as they grow up, that's in a natural law way, it, that's building up there, going to supernatural, building up and their idea of God. Amen. You, the father, your the the natural father. I'm sorry, the the mm-hmm. human father's self-giving, self-sacrifice, incurring of pain, is showing what love and self-giving is. The negative side, I think, is 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 equally um, important but disappointing when people don't feel that mm-hmm. love of a parent or when they have abuse by mm-hmm. a parent mm-hmm. that can drive people away from god i couldn't agree more so i work at the seminary and so i teach philosophy but when you teach at a seminary uh, involves seminary formation as well as the purely academic and a big part of what we see is that a lot of these guys coming in um, they have to work hard on on getting their understanding of their relationship to God as father and themselves as sons of God as father straight just because fatherhood in general in our society is such a broken, wounded mess. I mean, this goes for all of us, goes for me. Absolutely. And so they have to compensate for that. And we all do. So, uh, I mean, I think that, that first off, thank you for this hour. Uh, natural, I, and I, I, I slipped away into supernatural. Sure. Thanks for keeping me back. <laughs> yeah. But I think the natural law mm-hmm. is something that, uh, as we said in the beginning, it's God's gift to us uh, so that irrespective of the gospel has reached you or not, we are inclined toward him, and he has given us the gift to participate in the supernatural so that we can be the people he, he intended us to be. And uh, then we got to go a little bit beyond there, right? Amen. we got to go a little bit beyond there. We need to uh, love him more. And, and by being good parents, 
and by helping those who had not so good parents. And we all had imperfect parents, and it helps us get together. I, I, I got to end the program. Come back and see us next time. And tell a friend, please. You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.